The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig, our very first edition for 2022. Uh, thrilled as always to have by my side uh, Mr. Dan Trelaro from Epic Risk Management. Dan, good morning. Happy New Year. How you doing? I'm doing great, Craig. Happy New Year. It's good to be back with you again. Yeah, coming up in a little bit, we'll talk to Kenny Litwack. He's a counselor for uh, John Brooks Recovery Center in South Jersey. But I thought it'd be smart to open uh, with you. And uh, I'm going to go out of school here a little bit, but I think it's important to start the new year off with good things, with positive things, because... So many people like us that have gotten caught up uh, with compulsive gambling, you know, kind of feel the walls closing in on us and you'll get into a state of depression and, uh, and clouds and darkness and never really realize that there is a way out. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I thought, you know, for the new year, we ought to open with that. And you have some news in your life that uh, took place over the holidays which uh, I was really happy about because it's what I always talk about at the end of these shows, which is that life can be good. Life can be rewarding. Life can do everything you want it to be once you are willing to be honest and accept the fact you got a problem. And I'm happy to say that my main man, Dan, here got engaged over the holidays. (laughs) So uh, congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It was, you know, I think it was a long time coming. I think it would have happened sooner if it was up to her. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I got engaged to my girlfriend of almost four years, actually, Kate, whom I met uh, back, I guess, 2017. We knew each other for a while and kind of in similar line of work. She was working with an agency that helped people with substance use disorder and educating around drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I was working about gam- with gambling and we just started talking after a meeting one day uh, about the connection between the two and, you know, just subtly hit it off, I guess. And nothing really much came of it initially, but then over time just really found a lot of things in common. And, you know, it, it really means a lot. It really does for you to say that because I think in recovery, we always think, okay, you know, I'm surviving by not gambling. I'm not gambling. I'm counting my days. I haven't bet I'm doing well, but, you got to go to the next step now and create the life where the gambling no longer fits in. And when you start doing that, good things really do start to happen. And, you know, this is just one of the many good things. This is a great thing. I mean, my God. No doubt. Yeah, and the reason I bring it up is because, you know, when – and this is as much for people listening that don't have a gambling problem as it is for people that do. You know, gambling becomes our everything. Gambling is our mistress, right? Gambling is our – Sole focus. Gambling uh, takes precedent, sadly, over everything. And for most compulsive gamblers, you don't go to get help until there's there's some tragic moment in your life. Whether it's you know the legal system uh, catching up with you, whether it's you know uh, you know divorce, whether it's financial, it's it's usually something happens where you can't gamble. You're forced not to gamble. You're very few compulsive gamblers wake up one day with a lot of money in the bank and decide, all right, I'm done gambling. We're usually driven to that moment, right? Yeah, 100%. I I know I would never have stopped gambling unless I wasn't caught and sent away to prison. I just don't know how to do it. 
you know, I, I'm amazed at people who listen to this show, reach out for help. They start going to meetings and they don't go to prison. You know, they don't come to that prison insanity or death moment and they're able to stop. To me, that's, to me, that's mind blowing. That's right. real miracle changing stuff there. But you're right. Uh, <laughs> We, we have a life now where we don't have to gamble to feel good. There's other things in our life. And, and you've even talked about it, too, just being able to be present with your kids. And when you're on a family vacation, instead of worrying about the next bet and flying off somewhere. Yeah, it's uh, life is uh, so much more rewarding. And, and the reason I bring up you getting engaged is that uh, without you having to reveal too much of your private life, I would th- I know you're a couple weeks away from uh, your 12th anniversary without a wager. I would think if you went back 13 years ago, um, you never could have imagined living the life you're living today. Man, I tell you, I remember February 11, 2010, like it was yesterday. You know, the day of my last bet, I woke up and started that day just like I do every day. I started gambling, pot of coffee on, and I'm just gambling illegally on the, well, at the time, on the Internet. And that day ended a lot different than it started because that was the day that I was terminated from my job. I was found out by law enforcement, and, and, and my ex-wife at the time learned of everything that I had done. And I just remember thinking I could not wrap my head around never being able to gamble again. I, I just couldn't fathom that. Right. But one day at a time, one hour at a time, and one minute at a time, it just passed. And, I, and looking backwards, you're right. I never would have thought that I'd ever be in a position to have a little you know, savings in the bank or, or have someone that, that, that loves me for me as a non-gambler. You know, I mean, my kids love me. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But what a uh, man it, it's it's a lot it really is it's a lot to think about yeah it's weird it's you know gambling was such a big part of my life for such a long part of my life that it, it's weird living without it to be honest um because you know of how big a part of my life it was and now that it's so prevalent and there's not a day that goes by where i don't you know see a gambling ad hear a gambling ad it's a reminder to me in a lot of ways of how big a cancer gambling was. And what's really strange about that, and I'll be, you know, I think part of why I've been fortunate enough to kind of conquer it, and uh, for me it's just over three and a half years, mm. is that I've decided to live my life honestly. So in that realm of being honest, you know, I, two nights ago I had a vivid dream about gambling. And I really don't have those dreams much anymore. And I woke up, middle of the night, and I missed it. I did. Yeah. Uh, I missed the ability to gamble. I missed the, you know, the camaraderie amongst the gamblers. I missed, you know, the, you know, uh, going over the point spread. And although I'm exposed to it because I do the radio show and we talk about it on the radio, I'll be honest, I, for the first time, really in a long, long time, I woke up. I didn't have the urge to go do it, but I missed it. I did. And that scared me. You, you know, and that's, I want to let you know that that's a normal, a normal dream and a normal feeling to have, you know, because I, I remember my mentor, Jeff Beck, uh, who passed away a few years ago and was in recovery from gambling, substance use, smoking. And, he's, and he was one of the smartest people I've ever heard and someone I learned from. And he says it's so normal when something is such a big part of your life for so long and it's so meaningful to you. It's like your best friend. It's our it's our lover. It's our mistress. And when that's when you're told you can no longer do that thing, you're going to miss it. And and I had those same dreams, Craig, early on. I would wake up and it wasn't that I wanted to go gamble. But what it made me do the next day was I would call my sponsor right? and I would talk to someone about it. 
because I wanted to make sure that it, that was not the seed that took root in my body that now could lead to something else. Because it's normal to have dreams about things that are very impactful in our life, but then how we, as long as we don't act on them, right? Because you can't control the dream to some extent, right. but you can control your actions afterwards, and it's not like you're going out and gambling. So perfectly normal, totally normal to have dreams, but then what do we do about it on the backside to make sure that we're still staying on the right course? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it was being honest and acknowledging I had the dream and just being open 100%. about it, you know, and uh, and not acting on on the dream or making that dream uh, you know, becomes becoming something real. And you know, I say it all the time, you know, even though financially I was in a much better place five years ago, clearly, um, I wouldn't trade today's life for that life. I wouldn't. No way. I, listen, I agree with you. The peace of mind, um, there's no there's no dollar sign on peace of mind. And that's a line from the Zach Brown band, you know, a country music fan. Right. Right? So no dollar sign on peace of mind. This I've come to know. And I think about that phrase because it's so true, you know, and I wonder how many people listen to our show who have those dreams, maybe in recovery, and they're afraid to be honest with that. Because they're afraid of the judgment. They're afraid of, oh, well, if you're dreaming about it, that means you must be wanting to gamble. Well, no, that's not what it means. And being honest is the opposite of what you and I and so many did. We were people pleasers, and we lied through our teeth every day. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly what it was. And, and even though I have no financial security now, and I wish that I did, uh, I still think just living life this way and being honest about my problems and issues is a far better way to go. You know, it, it, you know, it's not the easy way. It's the more difficult way, but it's also the more rewarding way. And that's, again, why I wanted to open up this show, just being personal with people and sharing your good news because, you know, I always reference the people that are at the very beginning of this journey or their relatives who uh, are at the very beginning of their journey watching a loved one go through it. And the message here is, yeah, you can overcome it. You can make life worth living. You can enjoy the little things. You can, you know, rebuild a family. You can rebuild your finances and you can live a happy, content, fulfilled life without putting your hard-earned money on the line or worrying about where you're going to borrow your next dollar from. And it's insidious. It's ugly. It's dirty. It's disgusting. And it ain't going anywhere. Um, and I think that's why a show like this, you know, uh, resonates with so many people because, they hear two guys that had problems, went away, gave up their freedom, and had a choice to make in life. And the easy choice would have been get out of prison, go back to the old crew, gamble, because those guys are always ready to go do it. And, uh, you know, one day they'll find your body somewhere, I, I suppose. Or, you know, man up, quote-unquote, become a better dad, become a better husband, become a better person, own up to your frailties, own up to the mistakes you made, and start one day at a time living life in a better way. And everything else is easy. Like, for me, I always talk about the on Twitter. You know, they really don't bother me. They fuel me. You know, like, I, I there's not a day that goes by that some uh, jackass doesn't take an anonymous shot at me around, you know, gambling, around going to prison, around whatever it is that I do. And I reference it on the show because it doesn't bother me as much as it fuels me because that guy cares about what I do, right? And uh, yeah. that to me is fuel to, you know, to be great, to do what I do every day, never to waver. 
on the decisions I make now because the decisions I'm making now are the right ones, and that's a good way to live. Sometimes the best message comes from the people who are the imperfect people, right? I mean, listen, we've made our mistakes. We have cracks in our, in our lining, cracks in our shell, and for the light to shine through the cracks, it shines better through cracks than it does through something that doesn't have any cracks in it at all. And I remember reading very similar things, not to the extent that you re- read them or to the volume, but I remember people from the U.K., people from California commenting when I was first arrested and my whole court case played out back in 2010, 2011, and people I'd never met before, I'd never been to these places, commenting as if they knew me. And it just that was so hard. I stayed off the Internet, stayed off even back then social media. Like, I just, it just turned me off um, because it was too early for me, I think, just how I processed it. I would get so angry. I had so much anger. Right. And the way that you handle it really, really helps put that in perspective to say, you know what? I can see how you handle it and you handle it so well. To be like, no, it just fuels you. And, and I've kind of adopted that over the years as well. It's, it's a really healthy way to look at it. I'm not a big uh, quote guy, but Eleanor Roosevelt has a great quote for this. Then we'll take a break and say hi to Kenny. And her quote is, your opinion of me is none of my business. Mm. So I live that That's way. Although every yeah. now and then I, I, I do falter on that, and I have to call people scumbags and, and engage <laughs> them on Twitter. I can't. I do it, I do it every now and then. Uh, this is Hello, My Name is Craig. It's our first show of the new year. We did 50 of these last year. We'll hopefully do another 50 this year. Uh, in a moment, we'll say hi to Kenny Litwack, a counselor for our John Brooks Recovery Center. Uh, if you are a gambler, if you think you have a problem, if you are a relative and you think a loved one has a problem, you know, the very first step for a lot of people is 800-GAMBLER. They are also the sponsor of this show, and they can get you to the appropriate resources. You can always reach out to Dan and I. I have no problem with that either. But just know that there is a lot of help out there. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. As you know, Dan Trelaro is with us, and now let me say hi and introduce you to Kenny Litwack, the counselor uh, for John Brooks Recovery Center in South Jersey. Kenny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Craig? Doing good. I really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, a lot of times on this show... Dan and I talk to people like ourselves, people who uh, are compulsive gamblers, just so we can try to humanize, you know, what the addiction looks like uh, for many people that, you know, don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. And every now and then we bring an expert like yourself in because I think it's important for people to understand not just the signs of addiction, but how they can help the addict. Uh, I know you guys do a lot of that and focus not just on trauma and gambling addiction, but video gaming as well. So I think you have an interesting perspective on this. Um, and in that regard, walk us through if there is such a thing as what does a garden variety gambling addict sound like, look like, and you know exhibit behavior behaviorally uh, in your experience? Wow, uh, what an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I would actually kind of back up your question or, or maybe, you know, take your question um, and, and go upstream a little bit. Sure. Um, and, and instead of, you know, asking, you know, what's a gambling addict look like, I, I would even rephrase the question a little bit. What What's a person with a gambling addiction look like? Okay. You know, uh, um, because from my perspective, they're a person first, 
you know, and and someone with an addiction second, you know, and I think that's really important. That's something that I always have tried to get across when I train other clinicians um, and something that I always try to get across when I try to talk to uh, family members or, um, you know, anybody that is, you know, trying to pick up the pieces around the person with the addiction. Let me stop you there. Um, do you do that sure. because a lot of us have self-esteem issues and you want to... Part of what you do is, you know, building uh, the person back up? Uh, absolutely. You know, it, it is um, a self-esteem thing, but it's also a judgment thing. You know, for, sure. for so many years, you know, there, there's been this moral model of addiction where it's uh, a moral failing. You know, why can't they just stop? You know, whether it's been substances or whether it's been gambling, you know, why can't the person just stop? It's a choice. You know, it's really kind of not a choice. You know, it's a brain disease. And, and you know, when we start to look at it that way, uh, a lot of people, you know, some people have difficulty seeing it that way, that, um, you know, it, it becomes, you know, something that, you know, might be easier for people to kind of wrap their minds around when you think of it as a disease model. And, and a great way to compare it is to compare it to diabetes. You know, diabetes is a disease, but it's a disease that can be controlled through behavior. And, you know, you can make some choices that can control your physical disease. And addiction is very similar that way. And, you know, what does a garden variety person with an addiction look like? It looks like anybody else out there. It can affect anybody, anybody um, from any socioeconomic status, any background, really anybody walking around out there so, just like COVID. Should a compulsive gambler not be mad at themselves for you know making the repeated repeatedly bad decisions of gambling? Like is it cuz I I kind of I for a lot of my life kind of viewed that as well that's an easy kind of out for me. I got an addiction, it's a mental disease. You know, you know, not my fault. Um and I don't feel that way cuz I do blame myself still for the decisions I made because ultimately they were my decisions. So I don't know if that makes me more complicated than the average addict. And Dan, if you want to jump in on this as well, like how do we, how do we resolve that conflict in my brain where I blame myself for the decisions I made in gambling, but I recognize also that I do have an addiction. That's not my fault. Let me, yeah, let me, let me address that first. And then Ken, I'm going to say something I think that you can chime in on because I, like Craig, I can totally relate to that because there was for years and still to some extent, I mean, I'm over 11 years in recovery. I'll be coming up on 12 years next month. And yeah, I blame myself for a lot of things that happen. But what I also learned over time is that I'm continuing by blaming myself for things that happened in the past. I'm not moving on from the past. It's that trauma, and there's that key word in there, is continuing to live in my life and impact my recovery. And I think it's always good to be aware and mindful of those things that I did, but I also now have to learn that new healthy way of processing and coping and moving forward. So, you know, Ken, is it, how does the role of trauma and that guilt that we kind of carry with us, how does that kind of all tie in? Well, you're certainly not responsible for the things that have happened to you, but you are responsible. You have to take personal responsibility for moving forward, you know, for going and seeking treatment and then for making, you know, better choices in your life. Um, there are 
these micro decisions that we're able to make when you feel yourself being, you know, heading in the wrong direction. Uh, we have, you know, we use the term relapse, which, you know, we kind of are moving away from uh, that term, and we use the term recurrence of symptoms now. And so the going back to gambling is actually the very last step in this recurrence of symptoms. So a clinician or, or your counselor, or your therapist should kind of be educating a client in feelings that and thoughts that kind of teaches you that you're heading in the wrong direction. You know, when you start to make mind bets or when you start to think, you know, well, maybe, you know, I should be um, or, or I could be getting away with with gambling or, you know, um, you start to have feelings about, um, you know, maybe it would be kind of fun or maybe I could get away with it. You know, you start to get angry because I'm, you know, not able to bet anymore. Um, when you start to have feelings like this, you're heading in the wrong direction. So you should develop some skills to kind of pull yourself back um, before you start going back to gambling. And, um, you know, so that that last step, that gambling, uh, doesn't really occur. You notice it before you get to that step. Uh, talking to Ken Litwack, uh, counselor for John Brooks Recovery Center uh, in South Jersey, and, of course, as always, Dan Trelaro. Uh, Kenny, you know, I don't know a lot about video gaming addiction, but I do have kids who do play uh, video game, and you know, one of my kids is really, really good at it. Um, and I wonder, in your line of work, you know, are you seeing an amazing increase in uh, kids or young adults that are exhibiting the same kind of addictive behaviors in gambling in uh, video gaming as well? Well, I think everybody plays video games, right? Um, I, I think everybody, you know, most people think that kids only play video games. The average age of a gamer is 33 years old. So, you know, keep that in mind. I think, you know, I'd be surprised if everybody listening right now is not playing video games to some extent. And I, think, I love playing video know, games too. <laughs> I, I do too. Um, uh, I, I think a lot of times video game play does get out of hand for um, young people. And I think oftentimes, you know, many of the, the uh, kids that I talk to um, that are having video game uh, play problems are also suffering from having some parenting problems. You know, um, the parenting, um, you know, can oftentimes be a bit lax. And, um, you know, that's many times what I'm dealing with when, when I talk to uh, kids that are having video gaming uh, problems. So, um, you know, it's really more of a family issue than just um, a, a kid is sure. um, addicted. You know, I mean, you know, there is actually, you know, some controversy out there whether uh, video game addiction even truly exists. Um, you know, I, I, you know, kind of would be remiss if I didn't put that out there. I think, you know, anecdotally, we all know it sort of does exist. But, um, you know, there are a lot of co-occurring things with uh, video game addiction. And there is a school of thought that uh, video game addiction is um, really just a coping mechanism to go with some of the um, more common things like, um, you know, attention deficit problems or some of the other uh, personality issues. Well, Ken, look, I really appreciate you coming on today and look forward to talking to you more down the line. Uh, enjoy uh, your new year, and uh, thank you for joining us today and uh, sharing some of your expertise with us. Thanks so much.
Absolutely. Thank you. All right, Dan, before we wrap up uh, another edition, uh, obviously Super Bowl is now only a month away, and I know the Super Bowl and March Madness are the two kind of key dates and events of on the calendar that guys that do what you do now uh, worry the most about. So are we close enough now where people should keep an eye on their loved ones for you know, out of control or different behavior when it comes to gambling? Yeah, you know, we're starting to head into football playoff season. And, and you know, it, you're right. The next three months uh, or so until end of March, early April, when March Madness concludes is a time when the person who's been gambling all year might say, listen, now I've been following these teams. Now I can make some real money. Or now my fantasy football season's done, so now I've got more time on my hands because I've been handicapping and watching the players all year. So I watch these games. I know how they're going to do in the playoffs. I think I can make some easy money. And that's the concern is that a lot of, especially our young listeners, they don't consider sports gambling as a form of gambling. They consider it as a side job or an easy way to make money. So if you're a family member or a loved one of someone, just keep an extra eye out. Reach out an extra time during a week or two. Make sure people are doing okay, especially if they start noticing some behaviors. Uh, uh, someone's distant. Someone's not showing up to work. Someone's feeling under the weather. There's money issues. There's emotional or anger issues. Not saying it's definitely a gambling problem, but when you put everything together, it certainly could be. Well, listen, I always appreciate your insight and uh, friendship, as you know. And uh, the year's underway. We'll do it again next week. Uh, be well. Congrats again on the engagement. And I look forward to uh, talking to you again next week. Uh, thanks, Craig. I appreciate it. You too. Talk to you next week. Uh, there's Dan, and this is Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Evan Roberts is coming up next, and Evan and I are back together Monday at 2 o'clock as we get ready for playoff football and everything else that's going on in the world of sports. Have a great weekend, and thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.